I want to encourage you to turn to Proverbs 31. Happy Mother's Day. Today is the day that was set aside more than a hundred years ago to celebrate mothers. And I like what one author writes. He says, a mother has to be completely washable, but not plastic. Have 180 movable parts, all replaceable. Run on black coffee and leftovers. Have a lap that disappears when she stands up. Have a kiss that can cure anything from a scraped knuckle to a broken leg to disappointment and six pairs of hands. And it's not the six pairs of hands that cause the problems, but the three pairs of eyes. One pair that sees through closed doors when she asks, what are you kids doing in there? Which she already knows. A second pair here in the back of the head that says, what she shouldn't have, or sees what she shouldn't have, but of course she has to know. And still a third pair in the front that can look at a child when he or she goofs up, and that say without so much as uttering a word, but that convey I understand and I love you. Mothers have to be able to heal themselves when they are sick, feed a family of five with one pound of hamburger, and get a three-year-old to stand under a shower. That's the end quote. Now, for those of you who are mothers... No doubt that describes a lifestyle of your past, or in some cases your present, and I couldn't help but chuckle at that last part about young children taking showers, because I remember those times when we were having trouble with our little ones to stand, and uh, perhaps you have had the same thing where they're confident that they are getting wet, right, and they're way off like this. And the water's not even hitting their head, but it's hitting their feet. But they're panicked and afraid of the water running down their hair. I remember the delighted moments when a son or daughter finally grasped a concept we've been working at for so long, whether it was riding a bike or jumping rope or spelling a name. And it's you mothers who have devoted so much of your time to these things. And so today we honor all past and present mothers. And we've spent the last six months working through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes trying to distill from them the various topics that they cover, everything from wisdom and folly to anger to envy, jealousy, friendship, conflict resolution, death, life, old age, so much more as we've gone through. We've seen these topics, and we've kind of distilled and brought in different chapters all at the same time because Solomon will periodically bring these topics back up again as he goes. But it's fitting, I think appropriate, that today on Mother's Day that we finish our look at these books by going to Proverbs 31 and the classic presentation of the godly woman. On several occasions, Proverbs says, Do not forsake the instruction of your mother. And so it's interesting to me that the end of this book, which has been primarily instruction from Solomon to his son, ends with a final lesson from a mother to her son. And so if you're there with me, let's stand as we read the first nine verses, Proverbs 31. The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him, what my son and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, 
nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who's perishing, wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink, forget his poverty, remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. We'll end there and pray. Father, as we read and study your word today from this proverb, we pray that you would help us to understand how this all fits together, especially with what we've studied and learned so far. Lord, help us to be edified today because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, verse 1 tells us that these are the words to one King Lemuel. And that word, that name Lemuel means devoted to God. And it's a similar name, Jedidiah, that also means devoted to God. That interestingly, in 2 Samuel 12.25, is another name for Solomon. And so it's possible that Solomon is using the name Lemuel here in Proverbs 31 to refer to himself. And that could make this counsel that of Bathsheba to her son, or perhaps a scenario that Solomon has created, kind of a fictitious, um, and put himself in there indirectly in order to imagine a mother speaking to her son. It could be someone entirely different, a King Lemuel. But verse 2 reads, What, O my son? And what, O son of my womb and son of my vows? And the repetition in that appeal conveys a mother's both strong affection for her son and the importance of what she is saying here. Son of my womb, that's a a phrase that my mother used to tell me when she would remember the day that I was born. There are few more intimate moments in a mother's memory than that of birth when she struggled through nine months of discomfort, followed by a long, protracted time of labor. And so when that labor's over, and suddenly it has become worth it, that pain and agony are transformed into this lasting, intimate bond that cannot be severed. And so that's really what the mother's doing here. She's invoking this this bond that ties her and her son together. And furthermore, in Proverbs 31, she says, Son of my vows. And in 1 Samuel 1.11, we read, as an example, Hannah is said to have made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but give her a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And so on occasion, Hannah's a good example of it, mothers would dedicate, consecrate their sons to the Lord And that dedication was a mark of their devotion, their faithfulness. And it could be that this mother's phrase, son of my vows, is is really showing that, especially with Lemuel, which means devoted to God, that perhaps this mother had made vows before God, devoting her son to the Lord. Whatever the case may be, by saying these three things in a row, she's really saying something along the line of, Dear son, the one whom I bore, the one whom I dedicated to God and vowed to raise in righteousness, listen to me. 
out of respect for the dedication that I have and the love that I have for you. And thus his mother begins with a theme that's common in the book of Proverbs. We've seen it many times as we've gone through, which is the warning to young men against the wrong kind of women and the encouragement towards the pursuit of the right kind of women. So young men are are warned against the adulteress who flatters with her lips, the one who forsakes her own husband, the one whose lips drip honey but brings death and destruction, the one who hunts. The illustration and imagery is, is, is vivid in Proverbs, who hunts for the lives of young men to make them her prey. And Proverbs also warns against the noisy woman, the quarrelsome woman, the rebellious woman, the foolish woman. In Proverbs 12, 4, it says, though, that an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. And then contrast that with the one, but she, it says, who causes shame is like rottenness in the bones. Now, which young men do you want? You want rottenness in the bones or do you want the crown of your life. Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So all the way through this book of wisdom, there's been instruction about what kind of women to avoid and what kind of women to pursue, and especially to pursue the excellent, the, the prudent wife who is a gift from God. And as we see in verse 10 here of this chapter, an excellent or virtuous wife What is it? She's worth more than rubies. She is rare. She is valuable. And the counsel that we find in these next verses is particularly important. And they're arranged in a purposeful way. Every single verse starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it's done that way intentionally so that a young man... So... I know we we think of Proverbs 31 as the province of women. That's part of it. But it was really intended for young men. Young men to memorize this and learn this acrostic so that they are not pursuing the charming woman, the external that that is deceptively desirable on the superficial surface, right? But desiring to pursue this godly woman and these characteristics. Now I want to acknowledge something before we break down these next verses and that is this when you mention the Proverbs 31 woman you'll get a a bunch of different reactions. There are some who think of this passage as a list of hopeless requirements that represent an unattainable ideal and to these women, especially the mention of the Proverbs 31 woman, is discouraging. And there are others who think maybe this is, in fact, not an ideal, but an idealistic, and thus an unrealistic vision. Uh, as you, we look at all the things that she does, they think of her as a conglomeration of everything that could be perfect in a woman, and she represents seven different people. And to these women, the Proverbs 31 is need neither encouraging nor discouraging because she's seen as kind of a non-figure, an elusive but interesting person, especially one that is culturally relative given the description of the things that she does. And if one of those two perspectives describes you this morning, I want to encourage you 
to a different perspective, a third perspective. I want you to see the Proverbs 31 woman as living out several character qualities and principles to which every godly woman should aspire. Much like Titus 1. I mean, if, we, if we're looking at different chapters in the Bible, we're going to go, boy, that's, that's, that's a hard chapter. It would be Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3 for men, right? The godly man who's blameless and the husband of one wife and having faithful children and a wise steward and not self-willed, not quick-tempered, and so on. But what we say with those, those chapters is, guys, these are qualities that God is really saying are, are godly man qualities. So aspire to them. And I think we will see the same thing here in Proverbs 31. These are godly qualities that the Lord prizes. Why would we not want to aspire to the things that please the Lord? But I also want to encourage you today to realize that there may be more here than meets the eye because we've seen through Proverbs the overarching theme of two women. We've seen Lady Wisdom and we've seen Lady Folly. It may be that the Proverbs 31 woman is the personification of lazy, lady wisdom, not lazy wisdom, but lady wisdom. In other words, she may be the perfect woman as viewed from the cultural context of ancient Israel. What it would be like for lady wisdom to be incarnated. This is what she does. And if that's true, then she might in fact represent an ideal and not necessarily a to-do list. So I want you to really look through the to-dos and I want you to say, what quality is being represented here? How, does, how would this be reflected in my life? And men, don't just sit back this afternoon thinking that this is for your wife and you get a break. Because the church is described as the bride of Christ and so we might think of the church as the corporate incarnation of Lady Wisdom. And thus we all should aspire to many of these great qualities that are brought out in Proverbs 31. So verse 10 speaks of the virtuous wife. Some of you have the word translated as a wife of noble character. And the word in Hebrew here occurs only a few other times in the Old Testament. But one prominent place is in the book of Ruth. Ruth is told by her mother-in-law in Ruth 3.11 by Naomi, all the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. That's that same word that's there. And there's so much we could say about Ruth, right? We could say about her sacrifice and, and her service and her willingness to step outside of her comfort zone and returning back to Naomi's land and the, the land of her husband, but... I think the most, most striking example for her is that selfless devotion. And if you women want to know at least one woman in Scripture, if you're going, you know, I hear the, the noble or the excellent wife, what is it? And then, then you pick up the books off the Christian bookstore. And, and he, there is a woman that was described that way, and, and you have a whole book about her, and that's Ruth in the Old Testament. What does such a woman do? Verses 11 through 12 read, The heart of her husband safely trusts her so that he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, until about 50 years ago, we would read that and there would be no second guessing or, or stopping to, to, to puzzle over 
what that is because until about 50 years ago, the most exalted role and most important challenge in life for women was to raise their children and to manage the home. And so when it says in verse 11 that her husband has safely trusted in her, we see in subsequent verses how so much of what that means in in this context here is one in which the husband is leaving his home each day in an effort to provide for his family. And he knows in that process, as he is selflessly devoted and faithful to his home and his family, that his wife has everything in capable hands, has the home, has the finances, has the property, has the children, everything in competent, skillful hands. It has absolute confidence in her integrity, her discretion, her wisdom, and care for all of the household interests. And we'll see that this household, at least in this example in Proverbs 31, is, is one of substantial resources. And she's managing it all. Verse 12 says that an excellent wife does her husband good and not evil. And you'll notice that it doesn't just say every day. It says all of her days. All of her days. There was never a time that she wavered in faithfulness. She strengthens her husband. She builds him up. She encourages him. She sees it as one of her roles to do good to her husband all of her days. I want that to be the description of our marriage. A a selfless husband, that's what I want to be, one who's working hard to provide for our family, to, to be a protector, a shepherd of our home, and a selfless wife who does good not only to me, but, but to our children. And I also hope it will be descriptive of our church. So I said that the bride of Christ, incarnate corporately, that we as that bride will do good all of our days. That our the husband that is the groom, that Jesus Christ will be trusting in us to handle well the resources that he gives us. And what is the natural result of this kind of loyalty? You'll see it further down in, in verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. In other words, her husband has, has risen in esteem of the people, whatever profession it was that he is pursuing in his life, but it's partly because of her faithfulness. Partly because of her faithfulness and even her reputation, as we read in verse 31, that her works praise her in the very same gates where he is held in esteem. So men, do the people where you work esteem you? Do they know of your wife, of her care for you? And women, does your husband leave for work in the morning knowing that he can safely trust you with the family? And does your care for him enhance his reputation? I've often told Wendy that one of the things I most respect about her is that I absolutely trust her with our family and our home. And I know that she loves our children. I know that she faithfully raises them in the ways of the Lord that she disciplines and trains them to honor us, to love God, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I know that is the, the hope of her heart. 
In all of these things set my own mind and heart at ease that allow me to be more successful in the things that I'm pursuing on behalf of all of them. And my father used to feel the same about my mother as well. as She stayed home to care for me and my siblings. And I know that could be a blank that we filled in with, with many of you. We move on to verses 13 to 19. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. Now this is where some some eyes, remember I said earlier, start to glaze over, right? Rising up at night, buying a field, getting food from afar, planting a vineyard. It sounds like several different jobs in addition to raising a family. Let's at least agree that verses 13 to 19 don't paint a lazy wife or mother. Not even close. And I read phrases like, she girds herself with strength. And her lamp does not go out at night. She rises while it is still night. And I realize, as I am constantly reminded with my wife, with my mother, a mother's job is not eight to five. Nor is it six to five. A mother's job is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if a mother isn't actually working, she's on call, right, moms? I was always amazed at Wendy's preternatural sense of awareness even when she was asleep our children would often come into our room at night and just stand by the side of the bed and say nothing and they would wait for Wendy to wake up you ask how I know that well I hate to admit it because it will reveal I was awake a few times when that happened but I actually saw it happen she'd be breathing deeply one moment, and a child would be standing by the side of the bed, absolutely silent. They just stand there. And the next moment, you would hear a groggy, "What's the matter, honey?" And then, you know, there was, still was silent. They were half asleep still. They just knew to walk down the hallway, right? And she would go and tuck them back in. I think that simply must be true of mothers in general. That that sense. My own mother used to know when I was down the hall, and I don't think it was because I was noisy. She had a sense of where I was how I was doing, and this in turn led her to often sacrifice of her own time and interests on my behalf. I know that's true of you mothers. So this is an industrious woman. She's on call for her family 24 hours a day, but it says that she made the family's clothing out of material that she searched for even at great distance in order to get the best deals and the best product. Wool used for cold weather clothing, flax for linen in the warmer seasons. In Solomon's time, a lamp was the light of the home that was this little terracotta lamp that would have oil in it and a little wick that floated in the oil. And of course, it would only burn as long as there was oil. And because of that, most of the family went to sleep and the oil would burn down and out. It wouldn't last the whole night. But what it's saying here in this chapter is that the lamp didn't go out. And the implication is that that's because she's getting up in the middle of the night. Adding more oil so that the rest of the family could sleep. But that's not all she does while it's dark. It says she prepares food for her household. 
most likely in those early morning hours because there was no fast food places. There were no stores, no refrigerators. And I said earlier that the woman of Proverbs 31 is ideal and that we need to look for character qualities and principles. What do we see here? We see industriousness. We see work that would make most men falter. To be able to be an economist, a steward of funds and resources, to be able to analyze all the products available, to be strong enough and well-planned enough to make the right moves at the right time, to acquire the right things, to be fully a wife to her husband and a tender and a loving mother to her children, to apportion all the responsibilities to everyone in the household. Wow, that is some woman. And verse 16 keeps going. She considers a field and buys it. From her profit, she plants a vineyard and realize what's being described. She's negotiated this land purchase. She's running a home business. From her profits, it says. What, what is she profiting from? Well, verse 24 says she makes linen garments, not only for her family, but she sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. And so from those profits, she plants a vineyard on the property that she bought, making the property productive for the family. You get the sense of where this is all going, right? It's this, it's not a passive, lazy, it's it, none of that. This is an industrious woman who thinks ahead, who plans for the best of her home, her family, a careful money manager, a good analyst. And verse 17 says she girds herself with strength makes her arms strong. That first statement expresses an energy or a force about her. Any of you have mothers that, you know, they just, because of their care and their selflessness and their intentionality and just, you know, kind of that, that busy industry in them, that, that as they walk into the room, they have a strength of presence. That's what's, that's what's coming out here in this chapter. And ironically, her strongest characteristic is her humility and selflessness. That's her strongest characteristic. And so, ladies, a question to ask yourself this afternoon is not whether you have a side job. It's not whether you are managing the finances or if you're up several hours during the dark hours. If you were to leave today thinking that, boy... I guess Proverbs 31 just added a whole boatload of things that I'm supposed to be doing now. No, that's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, to what degree am I marked by purposeful living, by humility, by selflessness, particularly in the service of my family and home? Would people describe me as strong, not as not as strong in the sense of dominant or opinionated, but strong as incapable, intentional, faithful. Am I a woman of strength not only in action but also in character? And perhaps verse 26 is a good illustration of that. It says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. And the next two verses describe this excellent wife as an excellent mother. She watches over the ways of her household. She does not eat the bread of idleness. That's obvious by now. 
Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Now, I think one of the, one of the great tragedies in a lot of homes is that, that there are a lot of women who are striving to, to replicate, emulate some of these characteristics, and their husbands and their children are not rising up to bless them. Why would she be blessed? Not just because she isn't eating the bread of idleness and tirelessly serving her family, but more importantly, as we read in verse 30, because charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. What other motivation would lead a woman to think constantly first of the people around her, of her husband and her children. What, what possible motivation? It certainly would not be money or fame or power. The only motivation, it certainly wouldn't be thanks either, right? Because a lot of time men are horrible and stink at giving thanks to their wives. The only motivation is this, that she fears the Lord. Now, there are many unmarried women here this afternoon, and perhaps for you, just like for some of the men, there's a sense in which this either seems irrelevant or a far-off prospect. But pay close attention to that verse 30, which says, charm is deceitful. And the word charm there in the Hebrew refers to the outward appearance, dressed up and influencing others. Your looks are not the real you. If you are spending a lot of time, money, and effort on your external appearance, recognize that the attempt to be charming by shaping the external, psalmist says that's deceitful. He's warning the young men, don't just count on that. That's deceitful. And it's not of real value because the real importance is the inner beauty. The real importance is the inner character. And if we tie that in with the rest of the chapter, then that true inner beauty is the humility and selflessness that manifests itself in the kinds of actions that we've been reading about for wives and mothers. And so I encourage you unmarried ladies to think about how that inner beauty should manifest itself right now in your life. Do you fear and love the Lord? Is that producing a strength of presence even now? Such a woman is not only to be praised by her husband and children, but even praised by the community as those who are in the gates praise her. Unmarried men, is this the type of woman that you are pursuing? Is this the kind of woman that you are praying that the Lord would bring into your life Church, are we reflecting these qualities as Christ's bride? Are we concerned with our external appearance? Or is the beauty of the bride of Christ in us demonstrated in a great love and fear of God? Are we wise in our stewardship? Are we industrious in our works? Are we diligent? Are we loyal? Are we concerned for the family of God? Are we building up the reputation of our husband, Jesus Christ? 
At the beginning, I mentioned different ways to react to the phrase of Proverbs 31, woman. I encouraged you to look at the character qualities and principles that we find there. And while these represent the ideal woman, lady wisdom incarnate, yet you should desire to emulate them with God's strength and help. And what turns the discouragement of a seemingly impossible example into the encouragement of joy is, in fact, that verse 30. That the woman who fears the Lord will be praised. What will help you be free from anxiety over whether you're doing enough? Whether your children and husband appreciate your work. Whether you're making the right decisions. The fear of the Lord. I like how verse 25 puts it. She rejoices in time to come is what it says in New King James. But in the Hebrew it literally means she laughs at the future. She laughs at the future. Why? Anxiety would have her fear the unknown, but this woman, because she knows the Holy Spirit walks alongside of her, laughs at the future. Bring it on, is what she says. What will help you be the kind of woman described in verse 26, whose mouth is filled with wisdom? The fear of the Lord. What will help you have a strength of presence and a dignity of purpose? The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 23, 17 says, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. And so the woman who continues in that fear and reverence of the Lord will have power to resist the envy of what others seem to have, especially when they What they do is in contrast to Proverbs 31. Especially when the world is looking at that and scorning and mocking Proverbs 31. Those are important to you. That's what consumes your time. They're not going to thank you for that. That's not worth anything. Don't you want to be successful? What will help you live all your days, not for yourself, but for the people who God placed in your life, the fear of the Lord? You see, believing that the opinion of the Lord matters most and desiring to please Him more than anyone or anything else is greatly freeing. It reminds all of us, men and women alike, of who we are and what we have ahead of us. God has so richly blessed us. He serves us every single day. It frees us to realize, you know what? The most important thing in life is to glorify God. I can serve others. As I said at the beginning, I honor you mothers. I honor especially those of you who have shown by your fear of God the better and higher way. May the Lord be glorified because of your example. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word here in Proverbs 31. I thank you for just the challenge that we see here, not only for women to emulate these godly characteristics and principles, but even for the church as Christ's bride to be these many things. And I pray that the women of our church body would 
see these as qualities to aspire to, even as we men look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. I pray that we would be, as men, encouraging and, and quick to praise the women of our church. You've set before us godly characteristics, not because you set the impossible before us and, and tell us to jump of our own strength, but Lord, you are ready and willing to come alongside of us, to fill us with your grace, to enable us to do these things, and, and not just because they're a list of requirements, but Lord, because in being selfless, in being industrious, in being servants of others, we not only reflect your own qualities, but we find that we are most joyful. And so I thank you for these things, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.